Thank you for joining The Secret Chord, a weekly exploration of music and spirituality. I'm your host, Adam Jacobs. Hello, all, and welcome to The Secret Chord, Episode 9. You know, I've really enjoyed doing every episode that we've done so far and discussing all the bands and artists that we've gotten into. I have to admit that this week is my very favorite band. It's Jefferson Airplane. And the song we're going to talk about is called Crown of Creation. But first, a word about Jefferson Airplane. They are a rock-based band, originally from the Bay Area, and they became one of the pioneering bands of what's known as psychedelic rock, along with the Grateful Dead and bands like Quicksilver Messenger Service. They were really the leaders in this movement and one of the most exciting, influential, creative groups of their era. They were formed in 1965, and they really had reached their commercial peak of success around 1967 with the release of their album, Surrealistic Pillow, which parenthetically I bought in 1986 at a Crazy Eddie's in White Plains. Um, They were also the headliners at all three of the major festivals of the late 60s. That would be the Monterey Pop Festival of 1967, Woodstock, 1969, and also the Altamont Festival in California, which was also 1969, although that one was not the Peace and Love Fest that Woodstock was. And uh, Marty Ballin, the lead singer, or one of the lead singers of Jefferson Airplane, ended up getting punched in the nose by a Hell's Angels. Not the best outcome. Two songs from that album, Surrealistic Pillow, really catapulted them to fame. The first one was called Somebody to Love, their most famous song to date, and White Rabbit, which was a very psychedelic number and is considered one of the Rolling Stones' 500 greatest songs of all time. So Jefferson Airplane lasted only until 1972 and effectively split into two different bands after that, where uh, Yorma Kalkinen, who I've had the pleasure of meeting twice now. And Jack Cassidy moved to form their own band, which is called Hot Tuna, a band I've seen many times and love dearly. And Gray Slick and the remaining members went on to form Jefferson Starship in 1974. And they were a good band too. Um, Not anything like the airplane uh, in my subjective estimation. But a good band nonetheless, and they had some hits, and you know they became much more poppy and did their own thing, and that's great. But as far as I'm concerned, the heyday of this band is the late 60s, and all of their creative output, all of their songs are, are so good. Every album is a gem. The album I'd like to discuss today is called Crown of Creation, which was released in September of 1968. It would be their second and final album to reach the top 10, eventually peaking at number six. So the song 
from Crown of Creation, the title track, is supposed to derive its meaning from things being created and destroyed through lengths of time. The guitarist Paul Kantner took some of the phrases from a post-apocalyptic science fiction novel called The Chrysalids, and he modified them for the composition. And just going into this for one second, that's an interesting parallel to a Kabbalistic concept that says that God created and destroyed worlds before the one that we have. I don't know if the author of that book was aware of that, but certainly that's a parallel that we have with this idea. The song structure is as follows. There are two verses, which moves into a classic psychedelic jam. There's a bridge, a little bit more psychedelic jam, and a psychedelic coda at the end. Let's listen a little bit. We'll play the first bit of the song. And then, as always, we'll talk about the music and the meaning. let's talk about the music. A, I love it and it's fantastic. B, how do you describe it? This is classic psychedelic rock. This particular song, although the airplane has songs that are ballads and they have uh, other types of tunes and, and genres, this is a classic sound for them. It's what I would describe as a kind of thunderous march. It's got an anti-establishment feeling, as many of their songs do. I would describe it as sassy and confident and has what I would also describe as a blues-based intellectualism. These are literate people, and they are processing their ideas through the blues and through psychedelia. The Jefferson Airplane are unusual in that they have two lead singers. It's Marty Ballon and Grace Slick. They have a great set of lungs. The combination, I think, is totally original. They have these soaring, expansive voices. And although they sing stuff solo, I love when they get together. And Paul Kantner on, on backup vocals, the three of them together make an awesome sound. Underlying that is Jack Cassidy's intense, driving, loud bass lines. And Yorma Kalkinen 
his psychedelic tremulous vibrato. He's one of my favorite guitar players. I've had the extreme pleasure of being able to discuss in person with him his playing, his role within the band, um, and his musical career. And he is a fascinating man, a spiritual man, by the way, um, and had told me a lot about the inner structure of the band. It was just one of the great treats of my life to be able to spend that time together. So let's talk about the opening line. They say, you are the crown of creation, but you've got no place to go. Okay, that's interesting. So what does it mean, we're the crown of creation? Certainly that is an old idea, that human beings are the pinnacle of the creative order. Are we like Shakespeare, who said as follows in the hair soundtrack? Piece of work is man, how noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable, in action, how like an angel. Or are we more like what Joni Mitchell says in her song, Down to You? So the truth is that Shakespeare says at the end of that line that humanity and the earth itself is a foul and pestilent congregation of vapor. So what a contradiction. On the one hand, the world is a magnificent place with beauty and harmony and wonder. And on the other hand, it's pretty awful. Same thing with people. Like Joni says, you're a brute, you're an angel, you can crawl, you can fly. Humanity reflects the nature of this broken world. We're also damaged and trying our best to do the right thing and to make sense of our place in the world. So what is it exactly that makes a human being the crown of creation? Ultimately, I would say, it can only be our ability to make moral choices. Our free will is what distinguishes us from the animal world, that makes us the angel and not the brute, despite the fact that we do live in a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. That's what's so great about being human. And that's what I read in Crown of Creation you are the crown of creation, and unless you actualize your free will, then you've got no place to go. Let's play the rest of the song. Loyalty to their kind, they cannot tolerate our minds. And loyalty to our kind, we cannot tolerate their
So these last words always stuck with me. And I think about them a lot. Life is change. How it differs from the rocks. Well, if it's one thing that's absolutely certain is that life is constantly changing and there seems to be extremely little that we can do about that. Sometimes it's bothersome. Sometimes it's exciting. I wanted to take this moment and this concept of change and use it to illustrate an ancient but still profoundly significant point in philosophy. To do that, let's learn for a moment about two ancient Greek philosophers who don't get as much play as, say, Plato and Aristotle. The first one is named Heraclitus, who lived about 500 years BCE. In talking about change, he said that permanence is an illusion and change is the universal feature of reality. He said, all things are in a state of flux and you can never step in the same river twice. Okay. He argued with a contemporary named Parmenides who said that change and diversity are the illusions. He said, whatever exists is a being. And if something is not a being, then it is a non-being and thus nothing. Now a being could change only if caused to do so by something other than itself. And yet, as we just said, the only thing other than being is non-being. And non-being, since it is just nothing, cannot cause anything. Hence, change is impossible. So you've got one guy saying that change is all of reality. That's what it is. And another saying the exact opposite, that change is impossible. Hmm. What do you think? Which is it? So the, another philosopher came along who considered the words of both of these other philosophers, and his name was Aristotle. And he argued along the lines of Heraclitus, that change is absolutely real. And in fact, what change is, is moving from a state of potentiality to actuality. For instance, a red rubber ball has certain kind of actuality, but it also has potentiality. How so? Well, if you paint the red ball blue, it has the potential to be blue. If you heat it up a lot, it has the potential to melt. It's not that it is melted, it just simply has the potential to melt. And therefore, it requires some change agent to move it from one form to the other. In other words, to cause change. And therefore, he would argue that change is impossible without some changer, without something to come along and cause that potential to become actual. Well, as it happens... That is one of the most profound things that has ever been said. Because once you know that and recognize it as true, you can come to a second point, which is that it's impossible for there to be an infinite number of changes, which is also known in philosophy as the impossibility of the infinite regress. And while this would be a several-hour course if we were just to talk about this point, think about it. You can't have an infinite number of changes, of causes. 
And as such, since things can and do change, and since there cannot be an infinite regress of causes, there must be what Aristotle called an unmoved mover or an uncaused cause, which some people would label God. I suggest, if you're interested in this, go have a look at any of the writings of the philosopher Edward Faser, F-E-S-E-R. He writes extensively about it, and it is a fascinating and critical topic. And since we're talking about change, I figured I'd bring it up. One more thing. It seems to me that one of the most spiritually healthy acts is to accept that things change. And though, yes, through the crown of creation, our free will, we can choose how to relate to what's happening. We cannot control and therefore are compelled to accept the nature of things as they are. The greatest part of a human being, the crown of creation, is our free will. And what is our free will? Our free will is our ability to make moral choices, not to change the weather or that which is happening around us, but to choose how to react to what's taking place. In Judaism, this concept is sometimes known as gamzu latova, which means this too is for the good. Although I don't get it and I can't control it, I accept that this is part of the ultimate good of reality. Or, as theologian Reinhold Niebuhr once said, famously, O God and Heavenly Father, grant us the serenity of mind to accept that which cannot be changed, the courage to change that which can be changed, and the wisdom to know the one from the other. These are my thoughts on the song Crown of Creation by Jefferson Airplane and some of the philosophical ramifications that come from it. As always, I've thoroughly enjoyed discussing this with you this week, and I look forward to joining you again next week with more great music and great ideas. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening. If you would like to find more content like this, as well as information about live programming, visit us at www.aishny.com. That's www.aishny.com.